Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. We rely on the generosity of our listeners to sustain this ministry and the message of the coming kingdom of heaven. Please consider making a donation to Beth Emanuel by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. We carry an enormous debt of gratitude to Hashem this year. May you find opportunity to express that gratitude this Thanksgiving and every day. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His kindness endures forever. This week's Parsha introduces us to the third of the three patriarchs, and that is, of course, Yaakov Avinu, Jacob our father. For a good apostolic assessment of Jacob, I would point you to the epistle of First Clement, which says, anyone who honestly considers the matter will recognize the greatness of the gifts which have been given by Jacob. For from him have sprung the priests and all the Levites who minister at the altar of God. From him also our master Yeshua the Messiah descended according to the flesh. From him arose kings, princes, and rulers, and the race of Judah. Nor are his other tribes in small glory, inasmuch as God had promised, Thy seed shall be as the stars of heaven. 1 Clement 32 Based upon the verse that says, You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from days of old, Jewish teaching identifies each of the three patriarchs with a particular virtue. Abraham exemplifies chesed, loving kindness and covenant loyalty. Isaac exemplifies gevura, which is heroic strength. Jacob exemplifies emet, that is truth. Jacob is truth. Abraham demonstrated his loving kindness in his concern for others, and he proved his covenant loyalty to God through many tests of faith. Isaac demonstrated his heroic strength by willingly offering himself as a sacrifice on the altar, willing to sacrifice the self for the sake of the mitzvah and for the sake of his loyalty to God. In these fathers we find inspiration that we too should be people of chesed and gevurah. But why is Jacob identified with truth? This seems counterintuitive. Why is Jacob called truth? Dishonest Jacob? Ironically, in most church teachings, Jacob is presented as a negative example, a bad role model, a trickster and a deceiver. He's often criticized for being dishonest, tricking innocent Esau. But the truth is that Jacob is truth. Esau was both the deceiver and the deceived. He was a man of the world who loved the things of the world and did not value the faith of his fathers. He cared only for what he could taste, see, smell, touch, and hear. Jacob, on the other hand, was a complete man, dwelling in tents, a man of contemplation, who recognized truth, and because he recognized what was true, he prioritized it and sought to obtain it. So he purchased from Esau the right to be considered the firstborn, and he intercepted the blessing of his father Isaac. There is a lesson in this for every champion of the truth who is all about exposing the lies of others. Realize that those who label Jacob as a liar, trickster, and deceiver are unwittingly speaking on behalf of Esau. They think they are champions for the truth but they have misunderstood the truth. This should remind us 
that as sons and daughters of the kingdom, we are not Republicans or Democrats, conservatives or liberals. We are revolutionaries. We are not here to cast our allegiance with one system of government or the other, with one candidate or the other, with one ideology or the other. We are waiting and praying for the complete collapse of all human government to be replaced with the kingdom of Messiah. He is going to uproot them all. Kings will fall on their faces at his feet. When King Messiah comes and his kingdom breaks forth on earth, then you will know what truth is. Then we will see who is Jacob and who is Esau. This week at Beth Emmanuel, we have closed our doors once more on account of the virus. I realize that this is a divisive issue, and there are many members who feel we are capitulating to a social engineering agenda by observing such precautions. But in that regard, I do not share your perspective. For the time being, while the virus is surging, we will remain closed, hopefully reopening for Shabbat services in December. I know that we are all weary of the precautions, and we are all wary of the crippling effect that fighting the virus has on the local and world economy, not to mention the destructive social impact. But we have learned to say, it is well with my soul. I will be content in all circumstances. This too is for the good, and this too shall pass. From my perspective, it seems to me that God is sifting hearts. We are undergoing one of the contractions of the birth pains, which will eventually culminate in the redemption, a new age, a new era, and a new world. But the apostles tell us, through many trials we must enter the kingdom. When we pray, we ask God, lead us not into trial and testing. Why? Because we are not confident that we will pass the test. A student who has studied for the exams and mastered the material is eager for the day of the test so that he can demonstrate his prowess and his mastery of the subject. But the student who has not adequately prepared for the final exams feels only apprehension as the hour of the test approaches. We are among those who have not adequately prepared, so we pray, lead us not into testing. But if into testing we must go, and every student is eventually tested, Then we pray, deliver us from evil. It's my personal custom to repeat the line three times. Deliver us from evil, deliver us from evil, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil of harsh decrees and judgments that assemble against us in the form of hardship, mishap, disaster, misfortune, persecution, sorrow, suffering, and sickness. Deliver us from the evil of the evil one, evil spirits, the evil neighbor, the evil enemy, evil animals, and evil person, evil people who act against us in baseless hatred. And finally, deliver us from the evil inclination, which is our own penchant for evil, our own inner Esau, the heart set on the flesh, the devil inside, the self and the ego, which is sin dwelling in me. Deliver us from evil, deliver us from evil, deliver us from evil. We are in a time of testing. We should be praying to God, to ask God to deliver us from evil in this time of testing. May our community and all the members of Beth Emmanuel, near and far, be in good health, 
well provided for, sustained, and protected. We should be praying for God to deliver us from the Satan. May we be insulated from the evil influences of the world which seek to tear us apart and to strip us away from the kingdom in the name of ideologies, political allegiances, social agendas, and godlessness. And most of all, may we be protected from the evil within, from this heart so prone to wander, from baseless hatred, xenophobia, arrogance, pride, willful blindness, and from sin which is crouching at the door, which seeks to master you. But you must master it. Our master Yeshua extends a hand to Simon Peter, who upon seeing the wind and the waves, calls out in fear and begins to sink. Yeshua's feet stand firm upon the pitching waters, and his strength is sufficient to pull us up from the waves and help us back into the boat, if we are willing to take his hand. Closing the doors of Beth Emmanuel again is difficult for us to do because we have already lost touch with each other. Even those of you who have been attending since we reopened last June, a small and sparse crowd, a mere tithe of the full congregation, I have barely seen you or spoken with you because our faces are hidden behind masks and after Musaf we hurry out of the sanctuary and go our separate ways. Our community, which was built on social interaction through hospitality, through breaking bread together, through long Sabbaths spent together in scriptures, in song and fellowship, around the table together, in Farbrengens, at Kiddush meals and Shabbat Oneg, in afternoons enjoying the company of one another, in Bible classes, in Torah school, children's classes. All of this we are missing, and so we are missing one another. And then there are the rest of you, which I have not seen even since June when we reopened, many who have not returned to risk the virus or who have not returned for other reasons I do not know, I hope that's not the case, whole families I have not seen now in six or seven months. This is a challenge. How do we do community or carry on in any sort of meaningful way with the relationship that is Beth Emanuel? So I urge you to stay in touch, stay in touch with me. Send me an email, give me a call. Stay in touch with your pastors and your elders and stay in touch with one another. Remember who you are. Don't follow after the ways of the world, the lies of the internet, the sloganeering of the left or the right. The devil speaks the language of lies and deception and we fall for his lies. We believe him because he points out the lies and deception propagated by our adversaries. He says, those are the liars. You can trust me because those people over there are the liars. Then he goes over to them and he says the same thing to them. They see our own lies, which we thought were true, and they are all the more convinced and all the more persuaded that we are the liars. This is a solid strategy for division. Love is the antidote. Our master already taught us that the secret is to love your neighbor as yourself. When there is an ideological divide such as the one that divides our nation today, that means generating enough empathy to actually be able to inhabit the viewpoint of the opposite side. This is like the story of Rachel's father in Yeshiva. 
He told us that when he was a young man, he spent some he spent some time at a yeshiva, and it came to be known that he was a believer in Yeshua. The boys in the yeshiva were quite upset. There was something of an uproar. The Rosh Yeshiva did not kick him out. Instead, he broke the whole class into Chavruta partners, groups of two, everyone with a study partner, and then gave them the exercise of arguing over whether or not Jesus might be the Messiah. One student was told to argue against him being the Messiah, but the other student was told to argue for the idea that Yeshua is the Messiah. Rachel's father said that when he saw these Orthodox Jewish boys arguing for the idea that Yeshua is the Messiah, citing texts like Isaiah 53 and so forth, They would have tears in their eyes, trembling voices, faces blushing red, embarrassed and ashamed over the arguments they were making because it was such an offense to their deepest convictions and because it felt to them as if they were betraying Hashem by making such arguments. After this had gone on for some time, the Rosh Yeshiva said to the class, Now, switch sides and argue the opposite position. What was the point? Was he trying to prove to the class that Yeshua could not possibly be the Messiah? Was he trying to prove to the class that Yeshua is the Messiah? Neither one. He was trying to teach the class to see things through the eyes of another point of view. He was trying to teach them to love your neighbor as yourself. Our Master warns us that in the last days, in the birth pains, the love of most will grow cold. But not here among the brothers and sisters at Beth Emmanuel, will it? If you feel your love growing cold, ask yourself this. From what cisterns are you drawing water? What voices are you listening to? What are they telling you? When you drink from those voices, do they stir you with their anger and frustration and fear? Do you feel the same frustrations? Does it make you fearful? Does it make your blood boil? Then don't drink that water. Instead, drink the living water that springs up from within, a well of living water to eternal life, which comes pouring forth in abundance from the rock that followed Israel all the forty years in the wilderness, as our Master says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In our Torah portion, Isaac has to reopen the wells that his father Abraham had dug, because the Philistines had come along and plugged them up with sand. Actually, it says, they plug them up with dust. This is what's happening to the body of Messiah today, to all of us today. The world is plugging us up with dust. The dusty Bible on your shelf, the dust on your prayer book, the dust on your devotional, the dust on the charity box. Or maybe the Philistines are plugging the wells with sand. The Hebrew word for sand sounds like the Hebrew word for the non-holy, the common and the profane, like when we say at Havdalah, who separates the holy from the common. Our wells are plugged with what is common and ordinary and everyday. If our lives are too full of the common, it plugs up the holy. I want you to stay in touch, not to kvetch about Beth Emanuel, about me, or to discuss politics, or to commiserate with one another, or to form ideological alliances, 
but rather to express love and allegiance to one another. But most of all, I urge you to stay in touch with Hashem. Perhaps you used to come to the synagogue to get a spiritual recharge, a reset from the world that puts your attention back on Hashem. That's what the synagogue is for. That's what Shabbat is for. But if we're walking with Hashem, keeping God ever before us, walking in the fear of God and the love of God every day, in every situation, then it's all the same whether you are in a holy place or mundane place, whether you are in a holy day or ordinary time, whether you are in in the synagogue or at home or at work, it's all the same because you are in the presence of Hashem continually. Across the top of our ark, it says in Hebrew, Ki Torah, for out of Zion the Torah will go forth. It's a kingdom prophecy. That's a programmatic verse for our synagogue. So it's appropriate to have it on the ark. But in many synagogues, the words over the top of the ark say, Dalifne miata omed, know before whom you stand. It's an appropriate message for the synagogue when you are standing before the holy ark in the midst of the congregation where the Shekinah is present. The message reminds you to be mindful of God's presence and to direct your thoughts and your heart toward Him in prayer. This is the purpose of the synagogue service. But the truth is that when we are walking with God, Everywhere we go, we should see the words Da Lifne Miata Omed written before our eyes in white fire, black fire, and red fire. Know before whom you stand at home, in the car, on the street, at work, at the store, online, when you lie down, when you get up, when you sit in your home and walk on the way. I will admit to you that it's easier said than done. For several weeks now, I've been preaching this concept of walking with God in terms of pure mindfulness. I've been advocating the simple exercise of keeping God ever-present in our minds, which is called practicing the presence of God. But I've not been so successful. Many times in a day, I realize that my head has been filled with busy thoughts, some less noble than others, selfish ideas, unkindness, amusements and entertainments, but not at all with Hashem. In fact, it's the norm and not the exception. The exception occurs when I am keeping God in mind, keeping myself aware of His ever-abiding presence. But when this happens, I don't reproach myself or feel any sense of guilt. I just say to Hashem, Forgive me for neglecting you. Help me to keep a clear vision of you. Otherwise, I'll never, do, I'll never do better on my own. My heart will always wander. Now, as far as the pandemic goes and the measures against it, we are not naive. For a little while, we are going to close the doors again. We don't suppose that closing the synagogue for a few weeks is going to stop the pandemic. That's not the goal of the shutdowns. The goal is to slow the pandemic for the sake of the healthcare system. But that has a downside too in that when something moves slowly, it lasts longer. Sufficient to say, there are no easy answers or right solutions in this situation. We are doing our best. 
If we consult the Talmud for advice, here's what the Talmud says we should do when there is an epidemic. If there is a plague in the city, keep your feet at home, as it says, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, Exodus 12. And it also says, Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. Isaiah 26.20 Babakama 60b And in the Holy Zohar, it says that God closed Noah and his family inside the ark because the angel of judgment was going forth. And one should not show his face publicly when a time of judgment or wrath is upon the land. And there are many other passages like this. If you consider yourself to be a champion of the truth, cutting through lies of the opposition and unmasking the conspiracy, then recognize that God is the only truth and that all of this, all of this world, both the left and the right, and everything in the middle, conspires against you to conceal the truth of Hashem. Beware lest you cast your allegiance with Esau and forfeit Jacob in the process. I trust you, holy brothers and sisters, to be wise, not with the wisdom of this world, but with the wisdom that comes from above. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James 3, 14-18 May you have a happy Thanksgiving and abundant peace. Baby.